Thanks for listening to Cato Sports. I hope you enjoy the pod. Give it a follow. Share it with your mates. I appreciate the love. This is Cato Sports. Welcome into the pod. It is Cato Sports. June 13th. It's a Tuesday. Massive long weekend. I uh, I spent the long weekend in Perth uh, seeing my girlfriend's lovely little new nephew and uh, hanging out with the kids. Lots of fun. Was able to get over to the footy as well. So went and saw Fremantle Richmond, got a good glimpse of how Freo and Richmond work live. So Heaps on that in the podcast today. I thought the way Richmond attacked the game was just excellent. And uh, yeah, really excited to cover that game and all the other games. Thought the the Monday game was an, was an absolute ripper to finish the weekend. Melbourne's defense is just so rock solid. And yeah, lots of storylines to come. We'll cover every game of the AFL round in the podcast today. But I did want to start with Three things that you can do right now as an AFL team to improve immediately and on three separate levels because it's hard to make improvements in list management and game plan and 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 then and then making uh, players make different you know changes all all immediately but individually within the club you can make small adjustments and you can do things that will absolutely increase your your on-field performance and I just I think there's three things that have come to mind for me this week after watching all the footy I went wow these are three things that teams can do that they're just going to make you better and better and better and better as a football club just do it don't let your dreams be dreams the first one is please go to the mid-season draft teams it is the biggest weapon in the AFL that is just not being used right now. And the way I'm going to describe the mid-season draft right now is a team that did it really badly this year and a team that is going to, has has done it really well. So West Coast went to, to, to the uh, mid-season draft and could have potentially made two selections. They had Nick Nui available to be put on the inactive list, but they didn't do it. They got arrogant. They thought, no, we don't need to do that. We're just going to take the number one pick in the mid-season draft and we're going to end it there. Two weeks later, they're facing Adelaide, the best forward line in the competition, and West Coast go, well, gee, we've got some injuries to our back six. Don't really know what we're going to do. Okay, we'll throw Elliot Yo, a defensive midfielder, onto Tex Walker. Now, 45 minutes into the game, Tex Walker's kicked six goals and the game is completely over. The team's confidence is shot and now they're looking for other answers around. And you think, what's the opportunity cost there? Imagine if you go and get Oscar McDonald, one of these young guys, if you go and get any of the young, interesting defenders, anyone from the Waffle, anyone from the Sandful and say, hey, you look, you're 195 centimetres, 
You might not be the best player in the world, but you get to work with Barras, you get to work with McGovern and develop those skills. And every day you're learning. And then you get to go and play on someone like Tex Walker, letting an Elliot Yo go and play in the midfield. I guarantee you if Elliot Yo plays 80% midfield time in that game, they don't lose by 20 goals. And, and when you've got a young team like, like West Coast, you don't want to lose games by 20 goals. That shoots everyone's confidence. Everyone's having a bad week. No one's happy. The coach is on, you know, walking on eggshells. Whether he's, I mean, he says he wants to stay there. People are calling for his head. They haven't, they've lost 35 of their last 38 games. Like all of these things build up and a 20 goal losses do not help. And playing Elliot Yo, a, a midfielder, on Tex Walker, a key forward, is never going to help you. And the reason that happened is because they didn't think outside the box and go, this would be a really good opportunity to go and get a young back and say, hey, here's an opportunity there and allow Elliot Yo to do what he does better and help the team play a little bit better. And where I think one team has got this right, and I'm not just going to lord over Hawthorne because they go for them, but Mitchell Lewis is been the key for Hawthorne, really. We've got a really good young midfield. You know, the back line's developing all right. The forwards, there was a couple of pieces there, but since Mitch Lewis has come back into the Hawthorne team, the Hawks have looked great. Now, prior to that, they didn't have any options going forward. There, there really wasn't anything there, and that's why you saw massive losses against Essendon and Geelong and, and, and Sydney. So what did Hawthorne do? They took a second selection in the mid-season draft and they went and got Brandon Ryan, the cousin of Luke Ryan, who's been playing some really good footy as a key forward, 195 centimetres at Northern Bullants this season in the VFL, and said, come and join the Hawthorne list. So that if, if Mitch Lewis gets injured, they have another option. They have someone to go to. And instead of pulling Will Day out of the midfield and saying, oh, you've got to play in the back line from now on, Will Day can play, in the, can, can play in the midfield and he can influence games. So I just think, you know, not using the mid-season draft is going to really affect you. And being so arrogant that thinking your team can't improve and you can't add another guy to your list is Essendon, a myth, uh, West Coast are missing a trick there. The second thing that I think a team can do to improve immediately, and that first one is a list management thing. So for the list managers, that's how you can make your team better. Give yourself more options during the season. From a coaching and game plan perspective, the second thing you can do to improve is goal kicking. Now, this is a coaching and a game plan thing because after watching Sunday night's game, Essendon versus Carlton, our Essendon dominated. They, they absolutely dominated. If you watch the game, they dominated. But you look at the scorecard at the end of the game and Carlton have had more scoring shots than Essendon. And you go, well, geez, I mean, what if Carlton were just to convert some of those opportunities? Maybe they'd maybe they'd be a chance. Well, I'll tell you what the difference is. Peter Wright's come back into the team. He's kicked five goals, zero. But where did he kick those goals from? Go and look at his heat map, where he actually kicked the ball from. He's had four shots inside 15 metres. Do you know how much easier it is for a forward to score when you have four shots inside 15 metres? Now, I looked at Charlie Kerno's heat map. He's had six shots at goal, but he hasn't had a single shot inside 40 metres. So clearly, they need to, Carlton uh, have got this issue where they're having shots from, they're not getting good quality shots. They're getting these shots from way too far out. And Essendon have proved, 
okay, we've got this big forward. We know that he's going to win marking contests. We know he's going to win one-on-ones. We know he's good on the lead. Let's keep him deep. Let's move the ball effectively to that 50 to 80 mark. And let's give him chances closer to goal. Let's see if he can have some shots from 15, 20 meters out. And yeah, he goes and kicks five goals zero. But it's, but Carlton, they, they need to really, you know, work on this forward craft where you have one deeper, Kerno sits deep or, or Mackay sits deep and they get one-on-ones and they lead from the goal square out and they're not going deep into the pocket. They're not going deep outside 50. They're not taking shots from 55 meters out. That's how you're not going to win. That's how you're not going to score effectively as a team and how you end up with the worst kicking record over a five or six game span in the history of the game. That's Carlton are on the the worst six game goal kicking streak ever with 33% shot a goal. It's just, it it blows the mind that, that you wouldn't go, well, geez, maybe it's the quality of the shot we're having. Maybe we need to get some deeper entries. The other thing that I'd be doing is... I would be going to these big forwards like Kerno and Mackay. I would be getting out a, a, a board and going, okay, here's the 50-meter arc up to about 60 meters, and I'd be drawing a grid and saying, in these certain areas, you're kicking this, this shot. You're kicking a snap or you're kicking a drop punt and just take out the guesswork. These guys are going back and having shots of goal and having no idea, absolutely no idea what shot they're going to kick. They don't, they don't know. that You can see it from how they look. They go, oh, well, maybe I'll go around the corner. Oh, maybe I'll go for a drop punt. Make it simple. Okay, in this area, you're kicking a drop punt. In this area, you're kicking a snap. Take the guesswork out. If it's borderline, you kick a drop punt so that you can practice these things. I mean, it just feels like there's no confidence there because they don't know what they're doing. So I, I would absolutely be drawing up a grid because right now, Carlton are never going to win any games of football if you're kicking 16 behinds. If you're kicking at 33% a game, you're never going to win. So you have to get better shots to goal. You have to get more clarity about what type of kick you're going to do going for goal. It's just there's little things that you can do that are going to absolutely massively improve your game. The third one I have is effort is something that you need to bring every single week. And this is a player's thing. So list management, mid-season draft, goal kicking, that's coaching, that's game plan, that's telling the players where they need to put the ball to get the best options. That's working with the players so that they're making sure they get those good shots. But effort is something that you can bring every week. And watching the pies on the weekend, it's giving me a little bit of reminiscent of Melbourne last year. Last year, Melbourne got to about this point in the season. They hadn't really lost any games. Everyone in the media was talking about how they're the best team in the comp. Everyone in the media was talking about how they're absolutely flying. But the Pies, they were awesome early, absolutely awesome blockbuster. But they've fallen off a little bit. And you see it because of the effort that some of the guys are bringing. And that effort is, is, is showing up at the end of the game when guys like McCreary, Hill, Cox, Majacek, McInnes, Markov, Johnson, all of these guys who are those forward, lively types that are meant to be tackling and connecting play and being linked players and being forward options, none of those guys have had more than 10 touches on the weekend. And maybe that, that they're getting beaten one out by Melbourne's backline, 
maybe they're not bringing as much effort. I know that Johnson gets pulled because he didn't run, chase, and tackle. And unfortunately, you don't become the blockbuster team you are through the first two months of the season by just being good and and, and, and winning games of footy. You, the reason you're good is because you chase, because you tackle, because you laid, you know, big time, you're involved in big time moments, you laid big tackles, you got on the end of things, you worked really hard up and down the ground. It's the effort you put in as a bottom six of your team that's going to win you games of football. So I just, you know, teams can can kind of go here and there and and, and fluctuate, but if that effort's there, like we've seen with Essendon, like we've seen with someone like a GWS, you're competitive every game. I thought that Fremantle's effort to chase and run and tackle, I mean, Bolton just got out all game. Jaden Short got out all game. These types of guys are going to kill you. And if you don't have the effort and the awareness and the intensity for four quarters, you're not going to win games on talent alone. And that's why Fremantle lost that game. Um, that's that's why Giants have been really successful is they've been – their effort is absolutely there. Essendon keep beating teams that people go, oh, the, the other team's the favourite because they run, they chase, they tackle, they make good decisions, they have good shots at goal, you know, they want the ball more. That's, that's why Essendon are winning so many games. So I just think there's few things you can, you can do as a football club, list management, coaching, players every single week – to improve. I think, you know, being able to implement a good game plan, being able to implement a good list management strategy and being able to bring it every week will return dividends. And you see it in in teams like West Coast who are struggling and you see it in teams like North who are struggling and Carlton who are struggling. It's the effort that they don't bring. It's the lack of management skills that are there. It's the lack of coaching that seems to be there. Those are the types of things that are going to get you over the line. So I did just want to bring those three things to mind in my first segment today because after watching the games, you go, oh, geez, there's a real lack of this or there's a real lack of that. And I think as a football club, when you sit down at the end of the season or, you know, sit down tomorrow, it doesn't, doesn't really matter and go, geez, we need to make some changes and these are the types of changes we need to make. Next segment, going to start with the game. Sydney St Kilda started off Thursday night. We'll see you after this. Welcome back into the pod. Cato Sports on a Tuesday, as always. You might get it on a Wednesday this week just because of the delay because I was in Perth over the weekend. But I'm sure you guys will enjoy just as always. Sydney versus St Kilda. Going back to my original point and my theme of the week, bringing effort every week is something that, you know, there there is no real substitute for effort. If you don't bring effort every week, you're going to fall off. And it's not even just every week, but, you know, we see a team like Sydney, they're young, they were really successful last year, they overperformed clearly, they had a lot of really good young players just absolutely flying and everything was just going perfectly for them. But they have the extended September and they don't clearly hit the track as hard as they would have liked to coming into this season and they gain a few injuries and their back line looks a bit shaky. They lose a few key forwards and the, and the rails really are falling off. I mean, St Kilda's a barometer team. Sydney played well, I thought, for, for considering how they've been playing recently, but you're not going to beat a team like St Kilda 
unless you're efficient, unless you're, you know, putting scoreboard pressure on them. They, they seem to be really good, St Kilda, this season at just managing their way through games, kicking three or four goals a quarter, which they did. I know, I know St Kilda kind of came home pretty strong as well. Um, and, yeah, I mean, shout out to Rowan Marshall. Rucks are just so dominant. I mean, if I was an AFL club, I would be looking for a premium ruck if I didn't have one right now. Having someone like Rowan Marshall on your team who has 50 hitouts a game and gets, you know, 15 to 20 touches that are all really good quality touches. He's laid seven tackles. This is a really outstanding performance by him. Obviously, if your high ball winners, guys like Wanganee Malira and Sinclair, who are both getting 30 touches a game, uh, if, if they're getting those types of touches, you're in for a, for a seriously good game. I thought Wilkie's game was really good down back for the Saints as well. And, you know, they're starting to get consistent performances out of guys like like Kingy and, and, and Owens. So, you know, the, the goals are kind of coming for them as well. At Sydney, look, you know, Papley played all right. I thought that, you know, Buddy was okay and a bit of a presence. Florent was, was pretty solid as well. Um, but if you come up against a team like this, you really need to bring your A game. And having guys... Like, you know, Heaney only had 16 touches. Hickey had no influence on the game at all. Haywood had no influence on the game at all. Uh, it just, you're never going to win games of football if, you, if your good players aren't dominating. I mean, the midfield, Warner had 24 touches, nothing spectacular. Rowbottom had 24 touches. Outside of that, you know, there was there was nothing really there. And St Kilda aren't a team that's just going to roll over you and destroy you at the moment. They really beat you down with a consistent defensive football. They make sure they win the turnover battle and, uh, yeah, they burn you on the scoreboard. So good win to St Kilda. Um, again, they bring it every week and, St. Kilda, and, and Sydney haven't been bringing it every week and that's why St Kilda are going to come away with a couple of goal win. You know, it's not a massive win. It's not the craziest game of all time, but... Yeah, they've just got a really good defensive structure at St Kilda and they're able to be reasonably efficient in front of goals. Friday night, Dogs and the Power. This was an interesting one. Interesting because, unfortunately, last week in the podcast, I didn't speak about um, Geelong and the Dogs and I really did want to speak about them because it was a really interesting game. So I might just talk a little about that and then come back to the Dogs' uh, port game because it was – you know, just something that was really important. And the one thing that I saw Geelong do, and this was rem- very reminiscent of the Port Geelong, uh, Port Bulldogs game Friday night. The one thing I saw Geelong do to them two weeks ago was just put on massive forward pressure. They knew that if they got this Dogs team that had nine of the 10 top disposal winners on the ground, if they can get those guys to turn the ball over, they're going to get easy scores on goal. And that what Geelong did was they didn't overuse the ball. It was... You know, one touch, two touch, inside 50, you know, make sure they get a good shot at goal. So if they need to pass the ball to someone in a better position, they would if there was an open guy. Otherwise, go back, have the shot. Geelong did that really well. And I thought, you know, it was just a it was a, a game that the Dogs probably should have won. They had more of the ball. They had more of the play. They looked better. But at the end of the day, if you're t- turning the ball over, if you're overusing the ball in the back half – if the team gets the ball off you and they go one, two, bang, goal, you go, geez, 
We tried so hard and, we, and nothing happened. We didn't score. We didn't put the score on the board and Geelong's defensive pressure is what won them that game. And just going forward to, to today's game, uh, I, I look at it and go, or to Friday night's game, I go, well, Port scored 62 points from turnovers. And now, you know, you go through the dog statistics and go, geez, everyone played well. McRae, 29, 26 touches and a goal. Bont, 31 touches and a goal. Daniel, 29 touches and a goal. Trelaw, 34 touches and a goal. You know, Bailey Dales had 30 touches. Bailey Smith said 28 touches. It, it, everyone's had a good game. English, 17 touches a goal. Like, geez, you look at that and go, oh, God, how'd they not win? Well, they didn't win because they overused the ball. They overuse the ball every week. They don't get the ball inside 50 quick enough. And they turn it over. And if you turn the ball over against a team like Port Adelaide, it goes back the other way. Charlie Dixon's kick four straight. I mean, they use the ball well going inside 50. Butters was an absolute jet all game. He'll probably get the Brownlow votes. That's why you're going to lose. And I just think the thing with the dogs at the moment is overuse of ball and not kicking straight. They're the two things. Now, they kick pretty straight in this game, but they definitely overuse the ball. Sometimes it, it, it can't be like that. Sometimes you need to get the ball in quicker and give yourself an opportunity to score without having to, you know, create opportunities to turn the ball over and the other team to score easily. Yeah, I, I just think that it's the same thing every week for the dogs. The stats look good. The players look good. You know, it's this big kind of, oh, yeah, everyone's had an absolute day out. Everyone can, you know, look at their super coach score at the end of the week and go, geez, we had a great game. We got unlucky or something there. But it, it, it just, they turn the ball over a little too much. They overuse it. It's a little too fancy. And sometimes it just needs to get in there a little bit quicker to give guys like Norton and Ugal Hagen eight, nine chances a game rather than, three or, or four chances a game. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think the dogs have got everything to be good, but they just aren't. No, I think there's got to be some coaching in there that uh, Beveridge is going to have to work on in terms of making their their play more efficient, giving them better chances of goal. The more you use the ball, the more time the opposition has to get back and defend and and, and in a lot of situations, if you're overusing the ball, it just creates opportunities for the other team to take the ball off you. So that's how I see the dogs at the moment. Port keep rolling. They just keep winning games of footy. They keep putting out good performances. Efficient again on Friday night. 27 shots goal. I mean, yeah, they, they are a very, very, very hard-to-stop team right now. Saturday afternoon, Hawthorne and Brisbane. Um, okay. Uh, the Hawks are not the team that everyone thought they were. We are, they're not the team we thought they were. No, they are, they are very, very different to the team they thought they were. They're very efficient in the midfield. They win a lot of hard ball. They move the ball really well. They've got a lot of young players who are coming through and you, you just look at their games and go, geez, this, this was, this was dominant. I mean, Hawthorne were, able to well outscore Brisbane for the game, you know, had six or seven more scoring shots. The midfield, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hawthorne had 12 of the top 14 disposal getters, so they were absolutely winning the ball more as well. And they're starting to look dangerous inside 50. Uh, Mitch Lewis is very hard to stop. Jacob Kaczynski is 
was way out of form at the start of the season. He's really starting to turn the turn the uh, turn the screws and 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 be a really good second option for Hawthorne, a second big option, which they they just didn't have at the start of the season. Like at the start of the season, Cosie was out of form, not playing in the team. Mitch Lewis wasn't playing in the team. They didn't have anyone to kick the ball to. Now they've gone and kicked seven goals in the game and and torched the Brisbane backline. Connor McDonald has had the game of his life, his young life. He's in his second season. He's had 28 touches. He's kicked two goals. He looked electric. He played a lot more midfield time than he than he has over the you know first few weeks. Sam Butler, another young Hawk player, chipped in with a couple of goals as well. So, you know, Hawthorne are really starting to become a team that is going to be very hard to play against. You you look at everyone. I mean. Everyone has gone from talking about Hawthorne and going, oh, they they were tanking. Now they're not tanking. Actually, the rebuild's in, in, you know, in full swing. They're not tanking. I think it's a step further than that. I really do think it's a step further than that. Brisbane are, Brisbane are a very, very good football team and Hawthorne completely dominated for the whole game. The scoreline at halftime, Brisbane were up by two or three goals because they kicked three goals in two minutes at the end of the, the first half. Hawthorne dominated the first the first half. They really did. They didn't put the score on the board. That's a knock that, that uh, I've had on Hawthorne is they just don't put the score on the board compared to the midfield dominance. It's a similar type of thing to the Bulldogs. You know, they win so much of it, but it's about being efficient inside 50. It's about getting good shots. It's about getting shots in front of goal, 15, 20, 25 metres out where you're going to keep the goals. And, um, yeah, I mean, if Hawthorne can, can start doing that, Jesus, it, this is a – a more than competitive football team. And when you look at Hawthorne's run of games after their bye this week, it's 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 scary because if they can if they can beat teams like Brisbane and St Kilda, who are both top five teams in the comp- competition right now, they their run post bye is Gold Coast, Carlton, uh, GWS, then they get North. And then they get Richmond uh, and, and then they get the Saints who they'd beaten. So, I mean, if you could say they could win every single one of those games. There's there's six absolutely winnable games for the Hawks. So, you know, this is a, a team that I, I think is actually a step further than, than people think. This is a team that's going to start, could become by the end of this year, a very, very powerful team and actually finish the, the season with an extremely good record. I mean, the teams that they've got there are all, I mean, you'd say right now on form, they're going to beat North, they're going to beat Carlton. Gold Coast, Richmond and GWS are all not in the eight. So, you know, they are all winnable games, I would say, if Hawthorne are, are playing well and, and playing the way they played against Brisbane and St Kilda. Um, obviously, they play St Kilda at the end of that run and they beat St Kilda. And they, I think they beat them pretty comfortably. They outplayed them most of the game. They just didn't kick straight. So if Hawthorne can kick straight over the next little bit, oh, my God, I think you're looking at five or six absolutely winnable games to the Hawks. So very, very it, – it, it's, it's very interesting to see how a team can go from being the worst team in the league to the best team in the league. Um, well, not the best team in the league, but go from being the worst team in the league to being a team that everyone fears and goes, geez, this is actually a really good football team. So – well done to the Hawks. As for the Lions, they just cannot play well at the MCG. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just a hoodoo, if it's the players. I don't know what it is. But 
They just can't play well at the G. And one of the things I think that doesn't help them is when someone like Zorko comes out after the game, a leader of their team, and goes, oh, Sicily should go for three weeks. Just how I didn't like when with West Coast when West Coast's whole team and club came out and said, Dugowie should go for three weeks. Don't worry about those things. Those things are split-second decisions. There was no malice in the in the Sicily tackle. He just tackled him. It, it just the tackle went wrong. Tackles have been going wrong every single game of this season so far. And I think that it's a blight on the competition, which I haven't spoken about much on this on this podcast. But I think it's a blight on the competition that we're, you know, making martyrs out of these. You know these guys who are, who are just going out there and playing, and we're we're making them villains and saying, "Oh, you know, you know, you're you're a bad person for tackling someone like this." They've been tackling people like that their whole life, so I just think it's it's insane the way we're treating some of the players, and um, you know, the AFL really needs to clear that up. But I don't like Zorko coming out as a leader and going, "Oh, that's disgusting," and I hate that. And worry about your own performance, Zorko. You know, your teams that are had a shocking game uh, out on the park and you were a contributing factor to that. And, um, you know, to come out and just be like, oh, you know, we we don't want them to play like this. I don't know. I just, I really don't like that look. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's go to the break. And after the break, we're going to come back. Oh, no, let's do Adelaide versus West Coast first, quickly. Um... Adelaide and West Coast. I mean, I spoke about it before. They they got the matchups wrong at the start of the game. Adelaide have the most dangerous forward line in the competition, and if you get the matchups wrong against Adelaide in your in your back half, they'll just slaughter you. And they did. It was a, it was honestly embarrassing. And if they don't coach well like like that, they'll lose by hundred points every week because they don't have the players on the park. They don't have the confidence. They're moving Oscar Allen into the back line. They're playing Elliot Yo at fullback. It's just that is sloppy coaching. That is weird and bizarre coaching. That doesn't fill your team with confidence. That that feels like you're at the end of your tether and you don't know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, I don't know how you can hold your position. So that's why I think that Adam Simpson is seriously, seriously hanging on for dear life right now. Uh, obviously, Tex in his 250 had the day out. Thought he was excellent. Rankin was awesome as well. Uh, everyone in the in the Crows midfield feasted. Laird, Dawson, Keys. Can Ben Keys? How is he as good as he is? And 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 it comes back to the original point. The theme of the episode is effort. Every single week, Keysy comes and brings effort. I talked about this. Six weeks ago on the podcast, the last minute of the game, Adelaide were up by, I don't know, 40 points. And Keyes was running for his damn life to lay a tackle out on the wing in the last 30, 40 seconds of the game. Lays a tackle, wins a holding the ball. He is just someone that brings it every single week. And he doesn't have the skills of Jordan Dawson. He doesn't have you know, the ability of Isaac Rankin. He doesn't have the, you know, the class of Joshua Shelley, but he sticks his head in the ground and goes, I'm going to win my one-on-one matchups. I'm going to lay the tackles I need to lay. I'm going to get to the right positions to kick goals, to put the score on the board for my team. 
every single week with Ben Keys, and he did it. He did it previously at at um at the Lions, and he's come over here and he's doing the exact same thing at Adelaide. And I just think, God, you just love dudes like that. You absolutely love dudes like that in your team. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. I really am in love with this Adelaide team. I think that they've just got so many ways to beat you up forward that if they get on top of you in the midfield, which is, you know, their midfield is growing every single time. They're, they're getting more out of Chase Jones. They're getting more out of, um, you know, Keezy obviously gives it every week. Malira is starting to look good down back. Sloan is kicked two goals, had 19 touches. Consistent as ever, you know you're gonna what you're going to get from Sloan. If Crows can get on top in the midfield in a game or even half it, they'll beat you because they're too they're too efficient up forward and they've got too many options down there. Uh, West Coast, just a disgraceful performance again. And there's nothing to look forward to because they're coaching badly, their list management is bad, and they're playing bad because of it. So they need to fix up some things in their head office and in their coaching department to help them play better on the field every week. After the break, we'll cover the next four games. Welcome back in. Four more games to go. Excited to bring you the Frio and Richmond game. Was at this one live over at Optus Stadium. Beautiful ground. Love the atmosphere. You know, for someone that goes to a lot of games in Melbourne and, and, you know, ends up at games that are split 50-50 in the crowd a lot, to go to a game where Basically, everyone's going for Frio. The crowd is nuts. It's a, you know, it's a very immersive experience. They've got, you know, different songs ringing around the crowd and and ringing around the stadium through the speakers. It was just, it was a, a ripping experience. And I'd suggest to anyone who can to get over to Optus for a game because it was, it was really awesome. One of the weirder things that happened to me over the weekend, though, was after the Richmond win, uh, the, the locals decided to still play like over the speakers from, built in between the ground and the stadium. They had the Fremantle song playing after a loss on the way to the train, which was utterly bizarre. But uh, other than that, a very, very awesome experience and a really good game to cover. So, I mean, just jumping into it, I'll talk about Richmond first. Richmond do not have a list that's going to win a flag this year. I think that's pretty clear. Their bottom grouping of players isn't strong enough. Guys like Tyler Young, I mean, he's played 100 minutes of footy on the weekend. He touched the ball once. Samson Ryan probably isn't there as a ruckman or isn't there just yet. I wouldn't, you know, kick him out of the team. You want to give him as many reps as possible because I think he could develop into something good. You know, Judson Clark's only touched the ball four times. Uh, I've always had, you know, worries about guys like McIntosh and and, and Marlon Pickett kind of falling in and out of games and only touching the ball a very small amount of times during the game and not really influencing it very much. But the top level of this list is it's it's up there with, with any team in the comp. If you look at their top, you know, 10 players. I mean, Taranto's had a day out, two goals, 35 touches. Toby Nankervis completely destroyed Luke Jackson for the first three quarters of this game. It was it was Nankervis the whole time. And then in the last quarter, Nankervis, 
who was probably maybe Jackson got on a little bit in the third and fourth quarter. Nankervis goes and kicks a goal uh, in the last quarter to, to push that margin out and, and seal the game. He was just awesome. Bolton's run up and down the wing. Bolton is the most dynamic player in the competition when he wants to be. And again, he just works those wings so well. He gets up to to halfback, gets the ball, and he just explodes. And, and you can't catch him. And he's involved two, three times in link plays to get up the ground. He always hits the scoreboard as well. He's just, he is absolutely one of the most dynamic players in the competition. Uh, Jaden Short, talk about... See, this is another one as well. A team like Fremantle who played some good games and was playing good football, they just let a few things go. Okay, do, number one thing in the scouting report for Jaden Short is do not let him take a mark anywhere near the 50. Don't let him run around the back for a handball. If he's having shots for goal from 40 to 50 metres out, you're going to lose the game. And he's had three of them and he's kicked three goals. So... I mean, that's a that's a scouting thing. The forwards of Freer got to know that. Everyone's got to be aware of the fact that he's dangerous in that area of the ground. And Freer were unprepared. They allowed that to happen, and that's what happened to them. Dusty was really good as well. So was Koch. Um, so, you know, Richmond's top-level dudes there, they, their back line held up well. Grimes and, Vl- and Vlossom were really solid throughout this game as well. And I think that for the in the start of the first quarter, Fremantle really had the run and they were really trying to put it on them. And um, you know, it, it didn't it didn't eventuate in scores. And Richmond were really efficient in the second quarter and able to put on quite a lot of goals unanswered in them. The tie turned and Freo started to kick some goals and you know that momentum was building, but in a classic good team style, started the fourth quarter after a bit of a bake from the coach. Richmond locked it out and said, we might not be able to score, but you're definitely not scoring. And there was a 15-minute period in the game there where, you know, nothing really happened. You know, both both teams were super, super defensive. Both teams were, were, were locking it in and no one was getting easy shots on goal. And it was it was Richmond that prevailed and ended up kicking a couple of scores just to, to break it out a little bit. But I also thought the way that Richmond set up behind the ball all game was excellent. The way they used their zone and 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 they kind of created an uh, wherever the ball was, they created kind of like a C where if the ball was to sit in the middle of the C but 30 meters away, and they they just cocoon the ball into that forward line area, especially in the first half. And they just didn't give Freo many options coming out of halfback. And it, it, you know, when Freo were able to get it in there. Amos is just an absolute star. He's, he should absolutely be in the in the uh, discussion for rising star. He, there's not many forwards that are coming on the way he is as a key forward and kicking, you know, lots of goals. He's kicking two, three, four goals every game and is an absolute bright spark for, for Fremantle. So when they got it in there, there was – there was lots of opportunities and they, you know, they looked good and they they had shots on goal. I thought Walters played pretty well as well. Um, Fife, you know, in the twilight of his career, career, but he was throwing his body around as well. So, you know, it was a, com- a competitive game, but I just thought that especially when it matters, second quarter, Richmond set up really well on defense. They're able to get repeat stoppages, repeat opportunities and – create scores from, you know, from some 
somewhat opportune moments like short squeezing forward and, and, and kicking three goals. I mean, at the end of the day, Richmond wins by 15 point, points and short getting three opportunities goal from 50 is, is the difference there. So, yeah, just a, a really good game of footy. Maybe Fremantle didn't bring it enough in that first half and they didn't bring the effort wasn't there, but I also think that that's attributed to Richmond having a really solid uh, defensive game. And I think that they've had that, you know, all year. They've been pretty solid defensively. Um, it's just whether, you know, at stages they've been bad in the midfield, at stages they've, you know, kind of dropped in concentration in, in points, you know. They don't get that absolutely full surge football that they were getting two to three years ago. But, you know, the, the reason for that is because that bottom six is different or bottom eight is different and, you know, you might not get the same results out of those guys as you would, you know, guys that have previously been in the team. But, Richmond playing really well. Fremantle, I mean, they're they're almost there. They're almost a team that could break out and be, you know, a great team. But they come up against some, some, you know, quality opposition like Richmond are and they they just get pushed around in a quarter or two and that ends up being the game. Uh, Next game on the list, North and and, uh, GWS, another interesting game. Both teams really played hard. Uh, I'm not going to knock North for losing this game. I thought they really tried for really big patches of the game. Um, You know, Larky's an absolute star. They're probably paying, you know, or getting dividends out of Taron Thomas that they should have been getting. I thought Will Phillips was excellent. He's just really starting to come on, Will Phillips, and they needed that. They They needed Will Phillips to be a better player and, and, and a ball winner and, and, and solid around the contest. And I think he's been given that for them over the last couple of games. And I think that's going to help them improve as a team. Obviously, they're getting lots out of Wardlaw and Sheasel. And I've spoken about how much I, I like those guys and how much they're going to lead this team on in the next few years. So really solid performance, I thought, by North anyway. Um it didn't translate to a win, but I think GWS are a better team than a lot of people think, and they're playing really good football at the moment. Um, GWS, Brown uh, was able to – Callum Brown was able to sneak forward and kick three goals. Now, you know, they were interesting goals. He's taken two steps and bombed one from 50. He's gotten a mismatch in the goal square and kicked one. He kicked one on the run as well. So, you know, some interesting points, but, you know, he's a bright spark and he's athletically – one of the more athletic players in the competition. He's got massive size. He's strong. He can burst away from contests. So the more that he develops, the better they'll get. Riccardi was, you know, present in the forward line and he was hitting up at the ball. So was Hogan. This is a really good team, you know. The ability to have Riccardi come on and and have um, Hogan playing good footy means they can drop Himmelberg behind the ball and he can use it through halfback where – He's probably at his best. We know he can take a big mark. We know he can, you know, kick goals and stuff like that. But to have him off halfback where he really uses it well is is a good one. I spoke about Ryan Angwin. I still think he's playing some awesome footy at the moment. And I love the way he's developing as a player. I know he got subbed out of this one, but really, really solid. And, you know, Briggsy's had another good game as a ruck. So things are going really well for I think both of these teams. I think 
North, obviously losing Clarkson and they're getting a new coach and they've you know, got to build back up from scratch. But they're developing well. Larky looks good. Zerha looks good. They'll be They'll be good for the run home, and I think they'll be competitive, which is all you ask from a young team. You've got young players, just be competitive in games of football, and they are. And GWS, I think they're going to win some games to finish this season. I mean, they're now, they've jumped Carlton on the ladder. They are squarely in the race for the eight, I would say. And um, yeah, I think they've got a winnable matchup in the fall. They've got, they got Fremantle at home, so that's absolutely winnable for GWS. And uh, yeah, they, they've got that into the buy. So, yeah, excited for what GWS is going to show us in the back half of the year. Carlton and Essendon. I spoke about this game a lot in my introductory segment, but, God, you're never going to beat a team like Essendon if you kick as badly as Carlton did. And that's because of, I mean, the way they went forward of the ball Essendon got great shots at goal from easily gettable positions. Uh, their midfield is just flying right now. So many players going under the radar. Guys, like like the way they've set up their midfield is, is reminiscent of a team that, you know, understands how to really work. Port Adelaide have set up their midfield really well. They've got Horn Francis, who's a bull. They've got Rosie, who's a bit of class. They've got Butters, who's a bull. They've got Winesy, who's a bit contested in and under, you know, wins it like that. And they've got Drew as their stopper. Now, very similar thing happening at Essendon. They've got Merritt, who's their, you know, kind of like that Butters, can play inside, can play outside. Uh, amazing and it has been a revelation this year just moving to captaincy and then being as good as he's been has just been awesome for them they've got Nick Martin who's more that outside guy you know he's more their rosy he's got good skills he's got you know the ability to kind of get out of tight situations like that then they've got Caldwell who's their stopper he's their you know Drew he's the ability to you know go in win some hard balls and stuff like that Hobbsy he's more contessa, he's more that wine type. He's tough, he's rough, he's in there, he's laying tackles, he's doing that type of stuff. So their midfield is really coming together really well and looking like a premier midfield. Their forward line is coming together really well as well. Langford is dangerous always. Menzi is starting to get dangerous as well. Peter Wright's come back in and kicked five goals. Now it's, you know, now it's Wiedemann that's struggling. Now it's Wiedemann that's going to be, you know, tough to get a spot and they're creating that culture of if you're not playing as well as you you are, then, you know, we've got other guys that are going to come back and, and play well instead of you. Their backline as well. I mean, this backline is one that's developing well. Ridley, Redmond, Zerk Thatcher starting, you know, I talked about Zerk Thatcher earlier in the year and said, okay, if you play on Tommy Hawkins, you know, they're, they're the types of results you get. Hawkins goes and kicks eight goals. But if Zerk Thatcher can continue to play on guys like this and continue to get the experience and continue to hit the weight room in a couple of years, just like someone like a Dylan Grimes that was a little bit underweight, they get stronger, they get smarter, they get craftier, and then they can play on these guys and they can play on them in big games and they can stop them. So Essendon are just absolutely flying at the moment. I, I love what they're doing. I love how they're drafting and developing players at the moment. Um, they're a mid-season draft type team. That's that's how they go about this. They're a rookie draft type team. You know, Nick Martin was poached from 
underneath West Coast and Frio's noses. He played in their academies and he played in their development squads and they had the opportunity to take him in the rookie draft and they didn't do it and Essendon went and picked him up. So, yeah, I just think Essendon are flying. As for Carlton, I've got some notes on on why on what I think Carlton could do to, to, to turn it around. So I, I want to read them out because I think it's – these are the types of things that I'd be doing if I was – Michael Voss, and if I was the footy department, <laughs> the first thing I'd be doing is saying, if you're if McKay, if you're not getting the return out of Mackay, I would I would trade him. I actually would trade him. I would go and get as many young good picks and players as I could, because right now the two for, two big forward thing it, it it isn't working for them. They don't know how to work together well enough to succeed. And I think you'd rather go with Kerno than Mackay. I'd rather Kerno closer to goal. Like I said, Kerno having all these shots from outside 50 doesn't work for me. I want Kerno having shots from 30 metres out because he's one of the best one-on-one players in the competition. He's at that range, much better kick for goal than than uh, Mackay is. I, I don't see Mackay working out long-term in this team. I, I just don't. I don't do it. I, I don't see it. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give the captaincy to Walsh. I'm going to give the captaincy to Walsh because I want Cripps to become a better player. He might be a good captain. You might say he's consistent and his performance is this and that. I want Cripps to go to the next level as a player. And the next level means stop being one speed, stop being, you know, contested ball, handball first guy. I want Cripps to be a goal-kicking midfielder. I want him to be someone that goes forward, does what Bont and Dusty and, and all these premium dudes in the AFL do week in, week out. They go forward, they kick goals, they take big marks in the forward line, they create mismatches. That's the type of player that Cripps needs to become. He needs to work on his kicking a little bit and I think taking the captaincy and the pressure off him and going, you know what, Walshy, you're a gun, you're a leader as well. You know, I think Walsh's, you know, ability to run around and win the ball more means that he, he'll he'll always be involved in games and he'll always be able to have that influence on a game and having the captaincy won't affect him as much. I think Cripps needs more influential touches of the ball and to do that, he needs to focus on his footy a little bit more. So I would be making the move to Walsh as captain. Now, I know people are going, oh, they're crazy decisions. Well, the club needs some crazy decisions. They're, they're at breaking point right now. In terms of gameplay, I would not be kicking the ball sideways. Carlton kick the ball sideways more than any team in the competition. Handball, run pass for the handball, break tackles, take teams on, get the ball deep inside 50. Look to kick the ball to someone 50 to 80 metres out who's going to take a mark and then be able to distribute deeper inside 50 because the shots of goal they're getting right now are just absolutely a disgrace. They're just from nowhere, from the boundary, from outside 50. They're kicking inside 50 is terrible. Oh, I just, I just waste so many forays forward. It's, it's an absolute joke. Free agents at Carlton, I'd ban them. They've tried that and it hasn't succeeded. Build from within. It's the dudes within that come to your club because they got the opportunity because they were on the rookie list or they were on the mid-season draft or they were at the end of the national draft or, you know, those are the types of guys or they were delisted. Go and get those guys. They're cheap. They're free and you reward the guys that play well with the contracts. That's how good teams develop. 
You play well at our team for four or five years, we'll give you a contract. Not this, oh, come to our club, play for us, we'll give you $800,000 a year. And then guys who, you know, have been developing or trying to develop, they don't get the money. There's no money for them. Oh, okay, then you're getting rid of guys. You're not giving them opportunities. They're not playing well. They don't know if they're going to be in the team. There's uncertainty. Just get rid of free agent pay. It's just Carlton's, they've spent way too much time thinking they're one player away and not enough time going, how can we get better and better and better for the cheapest and most efficient way and build a culture and build a winning culture and win games of football and not build up superstars but build a super team. Of, of, of champion, you know, a champion players at every position and working on every guy and creating, you know, a, a, some competition for spots. At the moment, right now in Carlton's team, there's 10 guys that you wouldn't pull out of the team, even if they have a good, bad, nothing game because, you know, they're, they're the stars, they're the superstars, and it just it doesn't work like that. Going to do the last game of the round. Uh was a ripper. Um, a lot to learn from from Geelong versus uh, sorry from Melbourne versus Collingwood. I think, like I said in the initial thing, effort is a is a big one, and Collingwood just didn't bring it. And look, I'm not going to knock Collingwood for for not bringing effort one week. I think they have been a little bit down for a few weeks now. I didn't think they were as dominant as they could have been against West Coast um, when they played them last week and. You know, they kind of – West Coast were in the game for large periods and I didn't think that they were dominant against North the week before that. And now sometimes it takes a, a game like this after a couple of easy kills to build it back up. And I'm, I'm sure actually as a coaching point, McRae probably would have even liked it. You know, you go up against a couple of bad teams. You don't play that well, but you get the win. You come up against a good team and you get beaten comprehensively. And although it was a four-point margin – they got beaten comprehensively. Melbourne didn't put the score on the board at the end of the day and they should have won by a lot more. Now, they didn't, but, you know, a lot of guys kind of weren't at their absolute best and it kind of, it showed. So this will be a coaching point for Collingwood that you've got to bring the effort every week. You want to be the blockbuster showcase team that wins flags and, and, and you know, builds a dynasty, you got to bring effort every single week because if you drop that effort off, one game, two games, three games, you'll turn into Melbourne like last year where they cruised into a solid 10-9 win team through the first half of the season. And then, you know, back after the year, they didn't look as good. They didn't have any consistency. They started to lose some games. They started to lose some confidence. The effort dropped. Players started questioning what happened and they, they weren't able to have a successful September. So, yeah, I think um, – there's some coaching points for Collingwood. So it'll be really interesting to see how they come off the back of, of that game and go into the next, you know, they have the bye, but after that um, they have the Crows, which is a really good game. Uh, then they have the Suns away, which is a really good game. Then they play the Dogs at Marvel. So Frio at, at, at the G after that. So they got some really tough games to come. So it'll be really interesting to see how Collingwood bounce back from that. As for the Ds, I'm going to do a little segment, I think, next week about what I think are the most dominant areas uh, in the competition, kind of like if you were to break it up into forward line, back line, midfield, and uh, rucks and go, well, who's got the best of each and what are the most dominant ones? Because, you know, I can see themes where I go, 
Melbourne are really, really rock solid in the back line. They are got to be the best, one of the best back lines in the competition. Then I kind of look at, you know, the the uh, Adelaide forward line and go, that is just such a dominant forward line. It is so good at turning, uh, you know, opportunities into scores. So I'm going to look at that as well, definitely. You know, I love Port's midfield as well at the moment. They just, the way that they can extract the ball out of there is just uh, very, very, very good. And they've got some gun players in there. So, you know, it's different parts to each teams that I like. I also like Gold Coast midfield too. Um, But I think I'll do a segment on that next week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week, guys. Uh, And... I think we don't have as many games next week to cover um, because of some buys. So uh, I'll try and throw in some interesting stuff in there as well to cover for the for the lesser amount of games. But uh, yeah, hope you enjoy your week and I will see you next week on Cato Sports. That's a great idea, Cato.